Well, thank you, wonderful musicians, for blessing us this morning in such a wonderful way. If you have your Bibles, be finding with me, if you will, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I was trying to think what I would say today to you as I finish up my part of this uh, journey and turn it over to uh, your new pastor who is adequately marvelously equipped to, to take it to the finish line. And I thought, well, what I'll talk about is finishing, finishing, and finishing well. You know, the Bible says in Psalms 90 verse 10 that the days of our lives are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore. Now, let me translate that out of the King James. That means you're going to live 70 or 80 years on the average. That's, a, that's an average lifespan, 70 to 80 years. Some die earlier, some live much longer. I got to thinking, February 4th, I had my 71st birthday. I'm in the fourth quarter. And as I look around, I see several others that are in the fourth quarter. And to tell you the truth, we don't know when our fourth quarter begins or when it ends. So there may be a lot of us in the fourth quarter. In fact, we may be in the fourth quarter of God's time, and he may just take us all home soon. Even so come Lord Jesus. And so I thought finishing well, whether you're talking about an interim pastor or whether you're talking about just living life, all of us want to finish well. I mean, if, if I did a survey, there's not a person in here who says, well, I don't care how I finish. Uh, everybody wants to finish well. Well, if that's the case, why don't we hear from somebody who finished well? Because I think an example is often very helpful to us in learning how to do something. And so here in the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, we have Paul writing to Timothy. And he's writing to his young protege, his young preacher boy, and he's telling him how to finish well. And so that's my example. There's none finer than the Apostle Paul. And so listen to what the Spirit saith unto the church this morning. Follow along with me if you have a Bible or an iPhone or iPad or if you just want to sit and listen and let the Spirit speak to your heart. 2 Timothy chapter 4 beginning in verse 6. Very familiar passage, but I pray the familiarity will not keep you from hearing something new and appropriate for your life today. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. The word there, fought, is a word we get the word agonize. I've agonized a good fight. I finished my course, and the word course there is the word dromos, that means a race course. So he's not just talking about living a life, he's talking about a course, a charted course. Of course, God knows our course. I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come swiftly or quickly or shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark, 
and bring him with thee, for he is profitable. The word there means useful in ministry and service to me for ministry. If you and I are going to finish well, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Now, any text without a context is but a pretext. If we're reading this verse, where is Paul? Paul is in prison for the second time. Now, this time he's not under house arrest. He's in a dungeon, a dank, dark, damnable place. He's in a hole, literally a hole in the ground where they put people in order to let them die. If they didn't die of starvation, they died of disease. This is where we find him. Uh, his life is waning away, and he knows he's about to die. He's under the sentence of death, but he knows either death or disease or something's going to happen shortly. So he takes the opportunity to write to Timothy and to encourage Timothy. Can you imagine the situation Paul is in and he's encouraging somebody else? Listen, he's not encouraging just Timothy. He's encouraging us. Amen? Now, you're going to have to pay attention. Every once in a while, I'm going to pause, and I'm expecting an amen if you're listening. Amen? Amen. All right. Very good, class. We're getting there. My last Sunday, and they're starting to amen. Okay. All right. (laughs) If we're going to follow what Paul has said, we have to read and understand. Verse 6, he gives two images of his death. One is a pouring out. It's like the drink offering that was poured on the sacrifice before it was consumed. I'm ready to be poured out as that drink offering. I'm ready to be packed up. The time of my departure is at hand. And the word time there literally is translated seasons. The se- a designated time. The season of my departure is at hand. In the springtime of Paul's life, he had met Jesus Christ personally on a dusty road. And it changed his life. He was not the same. In fact, it was a complete flip. Dr. W.A. Criswell says that Paul wreaked havoc on the early church. And Dr. Criswell says that that word havoc is the strongest word you can find of how a person was treating another person. It was murderous. It was scandalous. It was, it was full of, of anger and venom and vigor. He, he was after the church. And when he met Jesus Christ, that flipped over. And he became that great missionary evangelist, the the one that has given us so much of our theology that we read today and still are just bumfuzzled by what we read. God gave him so much to give to us. And here he's talking about the seasons of his life. That springtime he served the Lord Jesus Christ. In in the summer, that, that, that service blossomed into a ministry that we read about and are absolutely staggered at what God did. Then we come to the fall of Paul's life. He's arrested. He's beaten. He's thrown into jail. He goes from court to court. And then we come to the fall of his life. And here he's telling Timothy, the winter of my life is coming. The end of my life is coming. The season of my departure is at hand. The word departure there means to loosen. It's the picture of somebody loosening the ship in order to sail out of one port into another. It's used of taking down the tent pegs that would hold up the tent. Paul was getting ready. Paul was getting ready to be poured out and Paul was ready to be packed up. And I'm going to tell you, when you and I as God's children, when we can come to the end of our life 
and we can say my life has been poured out and I'm ready to be packed up and go somewhere else, that is the start of living a life that shows that you're finishing well. All of us are going to face an end one day. All of us are going to face a finish line one day. And when we get to that finish line, are we going to get there hesitantly? Or are we going to embrace it and say, God allowed me to serve him while I was here, and I did the best I could with what I had. That, this is a picture of Paul. As he lives out his life and as he pours out his life, and now he's ready to be packed up and go to another port. Ladies and gentlemen, he finished well. Well, if we're going to finish well, Paul outlines here what we should do. First of all, he says there should be a fight for your faith. Paul fought for the faith. Notice what he says in verse 6. For I am ready now to be offered, and the time of my departure is, is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I, 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 I. Now, don't get the idea that Paul was being egotistical about this, saying, look at what I did. Paul here is not talking about himself as much as he's talking about what God has done. He's not talking about the products of his individual life. He's talking about the process God used in his life to help him to finish well. It's not what you do. It's not what I do. It's what God's Holy Spirit does in and through us. Again, Dr. Criswell, who's one of my heroes, Dr. Criswell used to say, young men, pray like it all depends upon God and work like it all depends upon you. And that's how you get things done in the church. It's not either or. It's both and. And that's true of all of our lives, where you're a minister of the gospel, whether you're a deacon, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, or you're a person who just comes and loves the Lord and has no appointed office as such in the church. But I'm telling you, you're part of the kingdom of God, and God wants to use you, and you won't know what true happiness is. And none of this will make sense to you until you get involved. I see so many people that come and just sit, and then they're critical. It's too hot. It's too cold. The, the music's too loud. It's too soft. Blah, 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 blah. Come get involved. You'll find out it's not easy pleasing a bunch of Baptists. And you do the best you can under God's leadership to be the person and the church God wants you to be. Does that mean you make mistakes sometimes? Sure you make mistakes sometimes. But that's okay. God has a way of working through our mistakes to make us even better. That was a fight for the faith. The Christian life is not a life of ease. It's not a life of prosperity and wealth. Paul here says it's an invitation to a fight. This battle even Paul says in Romans chapter 7 verse 19. He says the things I don't want to do I keep doing. And the things I don't want to do I... I I get so confused. I, I want to do this, but I don't. I don't want to do that, but I do it. The battle is not a battle against flesh and blood, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and forces of spiritual wickedness in high places. It is a spiritual battle. And the devil knows that if he loses your soul, if you become a Christian, he's lost. But he can nullify your life by keeping you in neutral. 
And, and if he keeps you in neutral, then you're going to go to heaven. Amen. But you're not going to count for Christ here. And part of the glory of living the Christian life is not heaven. It's counting for him here. It's being a soul winner here. It's taking the gifts that God has given to you and using them here. You can't do that there. You can't win souls there. You can't do some of the things you can do here. You can't have the impact. When we get there, we're going to worship and praise. But some of the things that we need to do here, the church has to be on board and ready to go. You've got a pastor who wants to lead you. And he wants to lead you into uncharted territory. Because we're not going to sit in the harbor waiting for the rapture to come. We need to get out there. The, 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 the church is not a tugboat. We're not pulling something or pushing something along. The church is not a pleasure craft. We're not out for a leisurely ride. The church is a battleship. And we ought to take the, the, the course and take it to the enemy. And that's what you're going to be led to do. And God help us to do it. So many of our churches I travel across the state are happy to sit and do nothing and wait for something. And I ask them what they're waiting on. They don't know. I often ask them, if you don't know what you're waiting on, when it gets here, how are you going to know that's it? Oh, we've got to take it. We've got to fight for the faith, especially in this environment that we live in today. So the finish, the Christian life is an endurance. It's not a sprint. We must persevere and endure to finish well. The Christian life is not only do I see the fight and the finish, but also the faith. Here he says, I've kept the faith. The word kept there means to guard as a sacred deposit. And when Paul uses the word faith here, he means the gospel message and that which surrounds the gospel message in how we live out the gospel message in our life. We must keep that. And ladies and gentlemen, it's under attack today. There are people today who are, who are saying things about the gospel. And it's not the gospel. They're talking about the church, and it's not the true church. That's why you need to know what you believe and why you believe it, and you need to know where in the Word of God it says it. Because I'm telling you today, we're under attack, and the faith that once was delivered is the faith that today others are trying to, to dislodge in our society and cause it to be less than what it is. Alexander McLaren said that the Christian life is not a garden of ease, nor is it a desert devoid of joy, but a gymnasium, a place of struggle, and a place of growth. When you go to the gym, you don't go there to sit and twiddle your fingers. You go there to work out. You go there to get more proficient at what you do. Back in the, in the early 1910s, when I was a teenager, I played ball. And... Uh, we love to go to the gym because that's where we worked out and that's where we, we worked out the, not only physically that we were better, but we worked out the plays. We knew what we were going to do and where everybody needed to be. It, it, it was a matter of, of being good, but being better. Being better at what we did. And that's what the Christian life is. Uh, we're saved, but we're not saved to sit. We're saved in order to count for Jesus Christ. When we look at Paul's life, oh, we all agree we love the finished product, the greatest preacher missionary that the world has ever known. But I'm not sure we like so much the process that he went through in order to become who he was.
So, first of all, there has to be a fight for the faith. But number two, there has to be a focus on your future. If you and I are going to finish well, notice the Bible says in verse 8, that there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day. There's coming a day. There's coming a day when God's going to put a torch to everything we do, and it's either wood, hay, stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. And some stuff's just going to go up and smoke. But the good stuff is going to remain. And so the crown that he's talking about here is not the crown of a king, but it's the award of an athlete. Again, I go back, and maybe I'm getting old and I reminisce too much, but back in high school, I was a pretty good athlete, and I got some trophies and some medals and some stuff. And, and that stuff was important. In fact, my mother made a little case where we could put all that. And, and any time I was dating a girl, I would, we would walk by that. <laughs> oh, that? Oh, did you ask about that? Oh, that? Oh, yeah, uh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, I didn't even know it was in here. I'm just... <laughs> you know, I don't even know where that stuff is. What was so important... I don't even know where it is now. It's probably in a box somewhere in a move when we move somewhere. The crown that you're going to get is going to be an award, a a crown that's given, and it's going to be according to truth. Again, I revert back to my earlier days. I remember a particular basketball game. I was to guard the hot shot from the other team, and I held him to 12 points, and I got 26. Yes, I did. He got the most valuable player award. And I was ticked. Now, this was before I was saved, but no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And I'm thinking, he doesn't deserve that. I deserve it. I ran him up and down the court. He had enough when the game was over with. I should have gotten that. I'm telling you, when we get to the other side, the awards are going to be according to truth. There's not going to be any mistakes given as to who gets to what award. It's going to be awarded by the king, and he's going to give it according to truth. So when you and I are looking for the future, we're focusing on the future. We're focusing on that end result when the reward is given. Don't get so bogged down in the fight that you miss the understanding that there's coming a reward. The faith that has been entrusted to Paul has been entrusted to us. And so we must be careful to be sure that we entrust that to the next generation. The Bible here says Paul had kept it. And we have to keep it in order to pass it along to our children and to our grandchildren and to their children. As long as we're here, we need to be sure that the relay race is continuing. That the relay and it's handed off to the next generation for them to understand and to know who Christ is. If you're going to finish well, there's a fight for the faith. There's a focus on your future, but there's also fellowship with friends. The Bible says in the last part of verse 8, this crown is given not to me only, but to all who love his appearing. Paul says, be diligent. Come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And the word come there, when he says come to come quick, means there's velocity in the word. Come quickly. Come shortly. There's urgency in the word. 
He's talking here about having friends. We're seeing the picture of an old, lonely man in prison who desires fellowship. He desires somebody to come see him and somebody come and support him. First Baptist Church, Daytona Beach, let me say something to you. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If you're going to finish well, you're not going to finish well alone. You need friends. You need people who will keep you accountable, people who you will be accountable to, and they will be accountable to you. You need friends who can share some of the burdens they go through when you go through them. When, when the doctor drops the C word on you, I don't want to talk to somebody who's never had cancer. I want to talk to somebody who's had cancer, and they say, this is what you can expect, and you're going to make it. It's going to be all right. Part of the church is that we are here to share our experiences with one another and to help one another, pray for one another, grow with one another. You're not going to make it to heaven by yourself. Your salvation is individual, but living out your Christian life is in fellowship and cooperation with one another. And my soul, when the church gets the vision of what it can do, we become a mighty army. Do you realize you folks gave $600,000 last year to the future building needs of the church? Six hundred. See there, that was the amen. They went right by it again. You gave $600,000 last year to the building program. See, when you have to go back, it just doesn't do the same thing. Think of the army. That's dollars. That's dollars. But think of the lives those dollars are going to touch and the lives that gave those dollars. And when we harness that as a church and when we understand that we're in this together and that there's strength in numbers, many hands make light work. The more we have on board doing it, the lighter the work is. When the egg drop comes, You need to be involved in that. You say, well, I don't even know what that's all about. Volunteer, and they'll tell you. Be involved. And then when you see some little kid come down the aisle and receive Christ who came to the the Easter egg hunt, you're a part of that. And you can say amen. Don't be, as the pastor said, don't be a spectator. Don't sit here and say, boy, that was really nice. Be part of what's happening in your church. You're, you're in a church that's on the cutting edge that everybody in the Southern Baptist Convention is watching. Everybody's watching what's happening here. Be a part. And I'm telling you, some folks live their entire Christian life and are never a part of a church like this. They're in a church that's dead, been dead, going to stay dead. But you're in a church that's moving out, that's, that's expanding, that's growing, that's going to reach people that we don't even know yet. Don't miss that. Be a part of that. And I'm going to tell you, it'll make all of this make sense to you. If you're going to finish well, there's a fight for your faith. If you're going to finish well, there's a focus on your future. If you're going to finish well, there's fellowship with your friends. But the most important thing, the most important thing, if you're going to finish well, is my fourth point. You have to forget your failures. Notice what the Bible says here. This is remarkable. This is one of the most remarkable verses in all of Scripture. Verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Now let me just pause right there. 
Paul has been through it. When you read the life of Paul from point salvation to point physical death, Paul had been beaten, he had been whipped, he had been thrown in the ocean, he had been thrown in jail, he had been drugged before this, drugged before that. I have a feeling when you get to heaven, you're going to be shocked when you see Paul. I think he's a little ball pate, squeaky voice. The Bible says he doesn't have a commanding baritone voice. Kind of trembly. There he is. The greatest preacher missionary the world's ever known. Because it was not his physical ability. It was Christ in him that made the difference. And when you get to heaven, you're going to see this little guy. And, and you're, you're going to say, that's Paul. God did so much through him. But isn't it neat that at the end of Paul's life, when he obviously has some physical disabilities and problems, I mean, he, he had to. He has his own personal physician traveling with him. <laughs> Amen. God says, Paul, you got a cold? Luke, go over and talk to him about the cold and just take care of him and just, you know. Everybody deserted him but his own doctor. Amen? God meets us not at the point of what we want, but God meets us at the point of what we need. And he knew Paul needed this, and so he, he brings Luke, Luke with him. But this is the remarkable part of the verse. Look at the last part of verse 11. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable. And the word there again is useful to me for the ministry. Hmm. Remarkable. Only Luke is with me. But get Paul and bring him uh, when you come. Why is it remarkable? If you remember the first missionary journey, Paul asked Mark to go along. Evidently, Paul saw in this young man some qualities. This young man could be useful for the kingdom. And so go along with us and learn some things and emulate some things that you see. And so they start off on the first missionary journey. Well, John Mark quit. We don't know why he quit. He's quit. Maybe he was preaching and somebody said they didn't like his sermon. And he got the mule lip and went home. I don't know. Maybe he missed mama. That's why we need some preachers called of God, not called of mama. Amen? Whatever the reason, he just quit. Second missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas are talking about it. Barnabas says, oh yeah, why don't we ask John Mark to go with us again? Paul said, translated from the Greek, no way, Jose. <laughs> no. Oh, let him go. No. Come on, Paul, don't be narrow-minded. Let him go with us. No. You know, when you read the life of Paul, there's several things you could extrapolate from his life. And there's some things that we know and some things we don't know, but I think you could pretty much count on this. Paul was not a quitter. And most folks who are like that don't like quitters either. And so, no, you're not going with us. You quit. You let us down. You're not going. So they 
They decide. Paul takes Silas. Barnabas takes Mark. They divide up. Instead of having one team, they have two. Obviously, this was a Baptist church. They split. (laughs) But the thing that's interesting about it is now there are two teams going. Now there's four people. In the midst of the crisis, God works all things together for good. And here he worked it to where now there's more people out in the missionary endeavors than there was before. Let's fast forward a number of years. Now we find Paul in prison. And as the months stretch into years and the years stretch into decades, we find this withered old man down in the bottom of a dungeon. And he's writing to Timothy. And he says, get Mark and bring him with you. For he's valuable. Somewhere over the wide expanse of time, Paul had forgiven Mark. And if you read this and you didn't know the rest of the story, you'd almost think Paul had forgotten it. When you come, bring Mark, for he's valuable. You see, evidently, when Paul forgave, he forgot. Do you know God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you? Do you have the audacity to hold grudges when God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you? Brother Owens, you don't know what they did to me. I know what you did to God. You sinned, and God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That's why Paul, when he forgave him, he forgot it. (laughs) Why don't they say amen? (laughs) And God, for Christ's sake, when he forgave you, he's forgotten it. It's under the blood. Never to be brought up to you again. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And then we have these petty little grudges. And we have all this guilt. And we put all this on ourselves. You know, when the devil, when you get saved, the devil loses your soul. But I'm going to tell you, he can make your life miserable. He can make you not count for the Lord Jesus Christ with guilt. With guilt. With, with, with flooding you with past failures. I, I've, I've talked to people over the years and say, what do you do at the church? Well, I used to teach Sunday school, Brother Owens. I said, oh, you did? He said, yeah, yeah, I, I taught Sunday school about 25 years. I said, well, why don't you teach now? Well, uh, we, were, we were studying Romans, and I said something, and somebody got their feelings hurt, and they said some bad things about me, and so I just quit. What? The guy that told you that, he doesn't know what he's talking about any more than you do. None of us have understood all of that. But you just quit? If God gives you a gift, you ought to use it until the last breath comes out of your body. People say, I've retired. Well, I've retired from the convention, but I'm busier now than I was when I was with the convention. 
I have to run around and help these churches don't have pastors. Amen. Forget the failures. Forget them. Forget what's happened. If somebody's hurt your feelings, forgive them. You say, wait a minute, Brother Owens, they did something to me. Well, you did something to God. Just forgive them. And then step out of the argument. Whatever it is, just forgive them. And forget the times that you failed. I said at the, at the West Campus, one of the things that just bugs me is how many churches are not willing to let pastor and staff fail at making plans. Now, that doesn't mean you do it haphazardly. But you pray and you work and you, and you try something new. Folks, we got to do it a different way. This is not the 1950s. The people out there are not where they were in 1950. They're lost like they were in 1950. But their whole concept of what's going on, their amount of information they have, the, the way in which they're entertained even, is drastically changed. The church never changes its message, but we must constantly look at the methodology that we're using and adjust it and tweak it and change it in order to reach a world. They don't hear like they used to hear. You have to work through some stuff. and Some of it's false religion today. Some of it's faulty theology. Some of it is just the weight of the world that is so infiltrated, even the church today. I was in a church in South Florida, and the, the music was so loud till I could feel it in my face. And one of the staff members I've known for a number of years after the service, he said, Brother Owens said, how'd you like that? And I said, well, it's kind of loud. He said, that's called thump. I said, thump? He said, yeah, that's what they do in the rock concerts. I said, so you're using what the world does in order to bring people to faith in Christ. Well, no, that, uh, that, uh, I'll be talking to you later. Uh, you have to be careful. You have to be careful. I'm not saying get weird, but we better get relevant. The church today is on the borderline of not being relevant with a new generation. We better be careful. That's why you've got a pastor who's going to put you on the cutting edge. Cutting edge may not always be comfortable, but we've got to reach this next generation. If we don't get this next generation, you can write it off. We're gone. Because God doesn't have any grandchildren. And when grandmother and granddaddy pass on, if we've not taught it to this crew and they teach it to their crew, it's over. It's over. And some of you who are as my age or older, and there are a lot of you who are a lot older than I am. <laughs> Amen. That was Bill Darby. Amen. <laughs> if we don't do something quickly, if we don't have a revival in this nation, we're going to be in even more trouble than we are today. And some of you who are older than I am, tell me how much change you've seen since the 50s to today. Church in Dallas, Texas, one of the prominent churches in the state of Texas, was going to hold some of the baccalaureate and graduation and all the services 
the school board in Texas told them you got to cover the cross. Amen, brother. In fact, light it up. Well, they said, well, we can't have our services there. Okay. Amen. Amen. You know what I'd do? I'd plan a big service there and invite all the young people. If you're going to finish well, Paul's a good example. Paul's a good example. Fight for your faith. Focus on the future. Have fellowship with friends, Christian friends. And oh, forget the failures. Start out anew and afresh. And just be amazed at what God's going to do in finishing your life in a good way. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, all of us want to finish well. But not finish well according to the world's standards, but finish well according to your standards. What a marvelous example Paul is. He didn't start out so good. Oh, my soul, he finished well. And that's what we want, to emulate a life that finished well. It starts with a person receiving Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. And this morning, we would be remiss if we did not give opportunity for somebody here who's never received Christ as Savior, never had their sins forgiven. Help them to understand Jesus Christ is not a good way to heaven. Jesus Christ is not even the best way to heaven. According to Acts 4.12, He is the only way to heaven. For neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the exclusive singular name of God's one and only Son. It is through Him that forgiveness for sin is available. It's through a simple act of trusting by faith. And you even give us that. Trusting by faith what He has done. A person is brought into a right relationship with God through Christ. I pray somebody this morning will ask Christ to be Savior and Lord of life. Maybe there are others here this morning and need to rededicate their life. What an appropriate Sunday before the new pastor's official first Sunday. For them to, to be clean and clear before God. To be in a, in a place of usefulness. Maybe some need to come at this altar and just simply kneel and not even talk with anybody but talk to you about getting some things right in their life. Maybe apathy. Maybe unconfessed, unrepented of sin. I don't know what it might be that's caused us to veer off course. Relationship is established once and for all, now and forever at Calvary. But fellowship can wane. It can grow cold. So I pray you would warm up our fellowship, Lord, for those who are your children. Maybe the others here today need to come and join this church by letter or statement or any other way she would receive members. This is the day to come. This is the place to do it. I pray your spirit will have the freedom to move on our hearts. Speak to us about those things that we need to get settled before we leave here today. We'll give you the praise and the glory for all good things that happen because of Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. We're going to sing an invitation hymn. It's exactly what it sounds like. We're inviting you to respond to what you've heard. Not from me, but from God's Spirit. What He has said to you. And He said something to you. He said something to you. 
So in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and pray. If you want to join this church, if you want to come down here and pray, say, Brother Orange, do you have to come down here? No, you don't have to. But there's something about coming forward that shames the devil and gives God the praise. Maybe you need to join the church. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe you just need to come and talk with somebody about something that's on your heart. We're inviting you. Meet the Lord where he's asking you to meet him. As we stand and as we sing, you come.